Hi, friends, and welcome to A Pretty Good Day, Episode Zero. That's right. Uh, a Pretty Good Day is not in production yet. Um, this is the first uh, of our pilot episodes, which is going to serve as kind of an experimental test bed for what I want A Pretty Good Day to be. For those of you who are Pockets Full of Soup fans, um, you know that uh, A Pretty Good Day is uh, the new program that we're planning that's uh, all about the most wonderful days of our lives uh, and telling those stories. Pockets Full of Soup is a storytelling show that talks about the people we're thankful for. A Pretty Good Day uh, talks about a different aspect of who makes us who we are. I think everybody listening can uh, uh, close their eyes. Uh, don't do that if you're driving or operating an aircraft or a, a sharp blade or, or anything like that. But otherwise, close your eyes and think for a second about... Uh, about your life, and you're likely to have a few moments that stand out uh, that are moments you wish you could go back to and experience again and again. Uh, even in the course of a very frustrating and difficult life, many of us, I think, experience really good days. <laughs> and um, that's what this is all about. Now, I'm still working on how the formatting for the final pretty good day is, uh, is going to work. And that's why I'm doing this experiment. So today, um, you're actually going to just get me. Now, most of the time in Pockets Full of Soup, the emphasis is on the guest and on the person the guest is thankful for. Uh, and I think on a pretty good day, it's often going to be very similar. But today, uh, I'm going to tell you a story from my life to try to feel out how this uh, storytelling about good days thing really works when we put it into execution. One of the th interesting things I'm discovering about show planning, well, there's a couple of things I'm discovering. One is I have no idea what I'm doing. And the second is that I'm learning more every day. And uh, I've discovered that sometimes ideas that look really good on paper uh, don't necessarily play out the way you thought they would. Sometimes they play out better. Sometimes they don't play out as well. So for uh, this episode, we're going to find out how me telling a story about a day I really enjoyed uh, will play out with our audience and uh, also how, uh, how it sounds to me so that I can listen to it and figure out what to tweak and move toward as we uh, move forward into the uh, next step of making this happen. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you're hearing this first uh, because at this point, um, uh, this uh, new experimental program is a timed exclusive for uh, Patreon listeners at a certain level. Uh, thank you guys very much for that support. Uh, and I'm really going to look forward to your feedback on this. So please hop into the comments uh, when you listen to this and let me know your thoughts. Um, you can also mail me at mail at pocketsfullofsoup.com um, uh, and uh, let me know what you're thinking about where we go forward from this. Ultimately, I think the show will probably be, end up being a combination of guest stories, uh, stories from viewers and listeners, and uh, every now and then some anecdotes from me. And some other ideas I'm not quite ready to, to spring out yet. So, without further ado, uh, I, your host, Jared Betty, I'm uh, going to tell you about one of the best days of my life. Now, the funny thing about memory is that, uh, for me at least, it works in, in chunks and in bursts. I can have an intensely strong and vivid memory of something as I do for the story I'm about to tell you, and yet not necessarily be able to frame all of the context. 
I know, for example, the exact day when this happened. Uh, it was December 31st to January 1st, overnight, uh, 2009, uh, and leading into 2010. So uh, the first day of 2010 slash the last hours of 2009. And this happened in the town of Seki, Japan, uh, where I was living at the time. Seki is a uh, small city in uh, the edge of the mountains in Honshu, uh, which is the central island of Japan. It's about as smack in the middle of the country as you can possibly be. It is, I think, my favorite place in all the world now. And uh, I was living there teaching English alongside my wife. Now, this great day, I remember very little of up until about 10 p.m. that evening, which is very funny. Everything else fades away before that. I remember I had the day off of work, but I don't remember what I did during all those daylight hours on the last day of 2009. I don't remember what my wife and I were up to. I know that we were on vacation, but we were staying in our apartment in Seki over that break. I think there's a very good chance we hung around, played video games, had a meal, Skyped with our parents, things like that. But actually, unaccustomedly that evening, my wife, who usually stays up to see the new year roll in, decided to go to sleep early. She was just overcome with drowsiness. And so with uh, many apologies, uh, she uh, said, I just can't stay with you tonight. I got to go to sleep. And she went into our little tatami room and laid down on her futon to uh, sleep through the night. Now, that left me in a, an interesting spot, to say the least, uh, because I wasn't really sure what to do by myself on a New Year's in Japan. That year before, we had been preoccupied with visitors uh, from the United States. So we'd had all kinds of plans and a trip uh, to Tokyo built around uh, the uh, whole holiday. And I had just kind of planned on hanging out with Angie that evening and maybe going out to take part in some of the community celebrations that occur in the evening. But with her gone, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. It was snowing that night. Um... I don't know how much you know about Japan, but it's a very temperate kind of place most of the year when you're in, on the main island. Um, if you're up in the northern archipelago, it's uh, cold in the winter and hot in the summer. They have a beautiful spring and a beautiful autumn most years. There's a bit of a rainy season during the summer that only lasts about a month um, of uh, rain most days. And it's kind of hot. And then the rest of the year, it's a lot like being in like Kentucky or North Carolina in the United States. So it was snowing on New Year's Eve in my little town, uh, snowing heavily. And I love a good snow. So I went and I pulled on my giant black pullover with my big hoodie and got as warm as I could, put my hands in my pockets, walked out the door into the street and just walked uh, from my apartment down toward the downtown, which is built along the edge of a mountain and a river uh, there in Seki. I walked along expecting to see crowds of people. You see, in Japan, New Year's Eve is a really big deal. Um, and there are all kinds of really exciting traditions built around it. 
uh, a lot of people will go out with their friends and their families and they'll wander the streets from a little before midnight, sometimes all the way till dawn when the sun comes up. They visit temples and they visit shrines. They go to restaurants. They go to bars. They go to friends' houses. They, they go here and there greeting and eating and drinking and laughing and just celebrating the the. the coming of a new year and everything that that represents all the possibilities. It's a time when people kind of let their hair down. There's some formality to it. Um, when you go to the Buddhist temples, for example, there's a certain degree of ritualism, but it's ritualism with a huge smile on the face, uh, a sort of a, 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 a reverent ecstasy. Uh, and uh, I really love the way that uh, the culture embraces that night. But as I was walking along the streets in that thick and heavy snow, um, I didn't see anybody. And it was really strange because I should have. I walked through one street to another and another down toward the Hanmachi, the old street in the downtown. My hands in my pockets where I thought, surely I'll encounter people down there. They'll be wandering around and going to the businesses that'll be open all night. And a lot of the temples in the town are down there. And as I approached, uh, there in the absolute silence, the only sound being my shoes in the snow, making that wonderful kind of crunch uh, with snowflakes falling heavily all around me and yet still bathed in moonlight. Because despite the fact the sky was heavily clouded, the this moon was peeking through. It was really just a beautiful evening, the stars especially there for a while. I came on the edge of a street to a place where I saw an alley, and an alley's not right, a, a long, narrow path between buildings that went way longer than you'd think of an alley, like blocks and blocks down. Now, I have walked down this street a hundred times, and I had never once noticed this little path. I stopped. There were flags on either side of the path covered in ice. I couldn't see what they said. And the path led way down this row of buildings and then into houses. And, other, and far off in the distance, I could make out a very bright light of fire. And there, looming over it all, this mountain. And I remember it was dark, dark dark except for the white snow reflecting off what starlight and moonlight there was and way off this orange tongue of flame i thought a lot since then about how different my life might be if i hadn't turned down that path but i was intrigued without being too dramatic there was something a little otherworldly about it to me the absolute silence, which in Japan is not a common thing uh, in a densely populated country. The snowfall, the dimness, the brightness, and this place that I had just never seen. And so I started walking down that path, which led me to an utterly silent, utterly empty street with gardens covered in snow everywhere, bonsai trees covered in icicles, and this the beautiful rock gardenage and the lovely houses and all of them with their lights off like nobody was there in this kind of dreamlike otherworldliness. I looked around and around for somebody else and didn't see anyone. I walked down that long path and the shadow of the mountain just kept looming up and the light got brighter. 
And finally, finally, after a long time walking, as I approached, I could make out that the fire was actually a bonfire. And I could hear the sound of voices for the first time that evening. It was all men's voices and also a scraping. And I came up and I found a tiny shrine wrapped up in a cedar forest at the foot of the mountain and four men standing around the fire there. Now, shrines and temples are different in Japan. You ever see the big red gates uh, in pictures in Japan? Those are called tori gates, and they're associated with the religion that's called Shinto. Shinto is a form of animism, which has to do with the connection between nature and life. And it's a religion that, while I've studied it a lot, I can't pretend to completely understand. But it's distinctive in some ways from Buddhism, uh, especially Japanese Buddhism, which is a, a kind of a unique flavor of that philosophy that tends to be twinged with some religious overtones as well. Japanese people, many of them, uh, harmoniously coexist with Shinto and Buddhism, both being a part of their lives. But there is some distinctiveness there. And the shrine here was a very beautiful place set in the cedar wood. Now, here's this thing about living in the mountains of Japan. The smell of cedar is absolutely everywhere. Anytime a wind blows down a mountain, you smell it coming through the windows of your house, or your classroom, or your teaching, or anywhere you're taking a walk. But on a icy, cold, heavily snowy evening. The smell of cedar is just palpable and biting and wonderful. And this huge orange flame was rising up and there was a man scraping the steps of the uh, temple with uh, his kind of long scraper thing to get the ice off of him. And he saw this gigantic, rotund uh, American walking up, as did the other guys. And Faces lit up with friendliness, bows and handshakes. And suddenly uh, there I was, a fifth member of a group of friends standing at a shrine around a fire. One of them was wearing the uh, the garment you sometimes associate with like a, a lay priest there. I, again, I, I don't want to misrepresent the religion, but somebody that took care of the shrine. And everybody was munching on ika, uh, dried ika, dried squid. Uh, they offered me a piece, and I started eating it there with them. We stood around the fire. Now, my Japanese skills are terrible. They were a little better then, but they're still pretty terrible even then. And uh, most people in Japan speak a little English. And so between my terrible Japanese and their terrible English, we stood there for a long time, making conversation, greeting, talking about where we were from, what we did, who we were. These gentlemen... All of them, um, young to middle-aged to older men um, standing there, were just waiting at the shrine with the fire for the year to roll over. And we stood there, and uh, they had sake to get them ready for the year. Sake, the delicious, delicious uh, uh, rice liquor. Had a little bit of that with them. And stood in the cedar forest, listening to the wind cut through the trees and cause them to creak. And every now and then... The four of us would go from chatting to absolute silence because when you looked out from that fire and out into that street that was still empty and perfect in that snow, it was an enchanting beauty in that night that all of us, I think, despite the barrier of our language, recognized as something truly exceptional. And all of us every now and then would look up 
to the veil of trees that surrounded the shrine like a great circle and created this this kind of wall above us all the trees covered in snow just completely white and yet somehow impossibly despite the fact that snow was falling all around us the stars were crystal clear above that fire it was awe-inspiring we stood there in silence sipping our drink and hanging around the fire to keep warm and off in the distance, the bells began to ring. In Japanese Buddhism, the temple bells are rung 108 times to celebrate the coming of the new year. And uh, people stand and come one by one to ring the bells. And in all the temples in the town, the bells began to ring. And that's when I knew the new year had rolled around. And there was a cheer uh, with the coming of the year. And the men poured more sake and began to celebrate. I thanked them for their hospitality, and they thanked me for stopping by and discovering them. And uh, they presented me with a giant dried squid, um, which I tucked into my huge uh, pocket on my hoodie and later forgot to take out of my laundry. Um, so if you want to hear a story sometime about what happens when you put a whole squid in your laundry, um, I can tell that one. But stepped away and walked back up that magical path. And it was something about the ringing of the bells. As I stepped back out of that little alley and looked back to where it was again and stepped on, I looked around and the streets were suddenly full of people, people in the snow going everywhere, snow falling people in their jackets and their coats and their finery, lovers holding hands, boyfriends and girlfriends, children running and laughing, old people huddling together and smiling. And it was good and it was wonderful and it was perfect. And everyone was looking for a reason to be joyful at the coming of the new year. I wandered on Hamachi for a while and cut down another street just at random. And there I found a small temple with a huge bell outside. And again, another garden of uh, bonsai that were covered in snow. And laughing groups of people smiling and pouring this kind of sweet sake porridge uh, that they make in Japan, which uh, I was very glad to uh, partake of. Everyone very hospitable and welcoming. The garden was bathed in light from a single open door in the temple where a monk with his back to us was facing a huge drum and an altar and praying. And one by one, people walked up to the bell and gave it a huge whack, one of the 108 hits, and it boomed over the community. And I met people and bowed and shook hands and talked and laughed and banged on the bell, turned around as the monk began to sing a holy song and beat on the drum in words I didn't understand. But in his voice, you could hear the conviction that something praiseworthy and extraordinary, something profound was taking place and should be observed. That's one of the places that I think that it's good for a culture to still maintain its, uh, respect for the better natures of religion and religion's a complicated thing. It's caused many harms for many people, but it does also serve as a beautiful reminder in its rituals, teaching, and most importantly, perhaps in its spirit manifest between 
men and women, one to the other, that there are times worth marking, seasons worth treasuring, and truths that we sometimes forget that can be brought into bright contrast by a song or a sermon or a prayer or a kind act done for another. And you could feel all that in what he was saying. So from the shrine to the temple, then back out into the cold, and then down a lonely path along the icy river there in the town. Nobody around again. I walked along under the lights under snow-covered sakura, the cherry blossom trees. Walked along, listening to the night and all its beauty, hearing the bells in the distance, the people laughing, once again the crunch of my shoes. And in some way, those experiences touched me very deeply, and they have been with me ever since. I don't know if I've ever felt more alive than I did during that few hours when the year rolled over from 2009 to 2010. And I realized as I listened to myself speak that my words are inadequate to describe just what took place. Why should walking down a street and seeing a fire and going to a temple and hitting a bell and eating a squid, why should those things feel life-changing? But I swear something within me just clicked over a little bit that night. There was a time in my life where while I was in the midst of great joy, there was also great difficulty. And it was a reminder to me, I think, that in nature and maybe in supernature, there was something in someone that uh, existed a little beyond the horizon of what my eyes choose to see every day. I saw in the people and I saw in the moment a touch of the divine and I was moved by it. That's subjective, of course. That's the way that uh, things that happen inside us must be. I think most of the time, that's the way truth must be as we understand it, whatever that is. A reminder, perhaps, that it's way more important in that subjectivity, way more important to be good than to be right. Way more important to be kind, loving, and to feel a sense of childlike wonder than to worry about being correct. You could feel that in the world that night. Came home and my wife was still asleep. Kicked the snow off my shoes and the shoes off my feet. Went into my house. Sat. Thought. Prayed again. I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah. At the shrine and the temple. And when I got home, I prayed that night. It was good for me. I went to bed. Next morning, I got up and told my wife all about it. Laundered my squid. And we celebrated the coming of the new year with a bottle, I kid you not, of Pokemon champagne. And that's uh, the story of one of the best days of my life. It was a pretty good day. Yeah, it really was a pretty good day. So guys, um, the program will probably have other segments and uh, we'll probably invite uh, other voices to share their stories, maybe themes, 
on a lot of ideas to bounce around, but I'd love your feedback on what you'd like to see and what you thought of what you heard here. Hopefully me babbling for, uh, you know, half an hour or so hasn't, uh, proved too exhausting for your ears. Um, let me know, uh, as we move into, uh, the next, uh, chapter of this. And, uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for supporting us by subscribing and listening and everything else. Thanks for your, uh, help with pockets full of soup. And, uh, I hope that you will also have a pretty good day.